What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast, the show for all things real food and the processes that bring it to the table. As always, I'm your host, Poldy Wheeland, and I'm super pumped to share today's episode with you guys. This episode is a conversation with Dr. Andy Galpin, professor of kinesiology at California State University, Fullerton. If you've never heard of this man, he is one of the foremost experts in the world on human performance education, and he focuses heavily on the science and training methods to increase strength, hypertrophy, and endurance performance. While being a professor, Andy also trains super high-level athletes, you know, Olympic athletes, uh, UFC fighters, and you name it, and he's just on a mission to really provide the world with free and accessible information to help you guys improve your life by enhancing the understanding of human performance, nutrition, health, and general well-being. So during this episode, we mainly focused on this idea of calorie quantity versus quality, and then we get into training for a backcountry hunt, which I think are really important topics and topics that would interest most of you guys. But if you're a gym rat or you just absolutely nerd out about human performance, I highly recommend you also check out his appearances on the Joe Rogan Experience and the Huberman Lab Podcast. You know, those are two episodes that I geeked out about. I benefited greatly from listening to those. So I definitely encourage you guys to check those out as well. And yeah, bring notes, you know, take some notes because he gets deep. Just for a quick episode overview so you guys can expect what to get from this episode here. First of all, like I said, we go into calorie quantity versus quality. Super important subject. Uh, then we get into how accurate you can get with calorie counting. Then uh, we talk about the thermal effect of food and how that impacts daily caloric availability and intake. And then, you know, we talk about how to fuel yourself on a backcountry hunt in high altitude, things to consider when training for a backcountry hunt, and then even some, you know, stretches you can really focus on while you're at camp to prep yourself for the day ahead. And then finally, we get into this idea of the hunter's high. Basically, you know, there's people out there, hunters out there who will underpack food for a backcountry hunt to get them into a fasted state. And they kind of believe that this heightens their senses and makes them better at hunting. So I asked Andy what he thought about that strategy and if he thinks that's, you know, a sound strategy, a good strategy to really do um, without, you know, hurting your physiology too much. As always, this is the Year of Plenty podcast. If you enjoyed, absolutely incinerate that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And the best thing to really do if you want to see the show grow is share it with a friend or family member who you think is going to get a lot of value from the episodes. If you're a big fan of the podcast and you want to help me, you know, keep the lights on, see me crank out more episodes, you can do donations, value for value, you know, either go over to my Patreon where you can do $2 monthly donations, or what you can do is do one-time donations on my Buy Me a Coffee account, and links to both of those will be in the podcast episode description. If you want to get a conversation started with me, head on over to my social media. The best place would be Instagram. That's where I'm most active. My Instagram handle is at Poldy Wheeland. Again, all the links to the social media will be in the episode description. And uh, yeah, send me a DM. Let's get a conversation started. Let's explore real food together. All right, enough with this intro. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of what Andy has to say. So let's dive straight into this episode. 
Awesome. So Dr. Professor Andy Galpin, thank you for coming on the show, man. I am very pumped to talk to you about human performance today and uh, pick your brain a bit about calorie quality and quantity, That the big debate around that side, and then, you know, maybe a little bit on fueling ourselves in the backcountry when we're hunting out there in some pretty rough terrain. How are you doing, man? I'm doing incredible, man. I'm incredible. I'm a, I don't get the chance to talk too many hunters often so i know we're not going to talk about hunting per se but we'll get into some topics related to that so either way i'm excited man it's a huge passion of mine so right and i didn't know that we just chatted a little bit right before hitting the record button you hunt yourself which is pretty awesome yeah is it for you more of a uh, getting out you're experiencing nature or is it the food you're after why, why do you hunt well it's, it's both of those no question it's uh a game meat is a very large percentage of the food I eat as well as my children. Um, it's sort of interesting because I live here in the city, right down here in Southern California. Um, you can call it LA. I don't live in LA or anywhere close, but just think about it as LA. Um, and so it's quite funny when my kids go to school and stuff and they talk about for lunch, they've got elk steak and you know, they've got antelope and things oh, like love that. It. The teachers and the friends are just like, what? What's going on? It's so absurd to them. Uh, so it's no, it's a big part of our food thing. And then of course, um, all the other tangential benefits of, of those tasks um, that most folks who have never done it don't really realize. Right. No, that's awesome to hear. I my big goal is really just to get all my protein or all my meat from wild game. I'm getting close. Um, I'm still pursuing a spring bear here, which will definitely help me uh, get through, through the summer. Hopefully, if not, I might have to buy a. a cow half a cow or something from a local rancher but it would be nice to get yeah. that bear yeah that's the goal that's it's not it's not realistic for me given on i have to fly many miles right get somewhere where you can actually reasonably hunt but you guys can pop out and get turkeys and and deer and bear <laughs> like you guys can fill the freezer in a variety i pretty much fill the freezer with the one hunting trip i get a year or so so well at least you're still doing it that's great to hear so yeah, absolutely i've been really diving down your content like diving down a rabbit hole with all your content i first heard you and, and joe rogan a long it was a while back when you were there then kind of rediscovered your work with the most recent uh huberman podcast which was just an incredible deep uh, deep dive i mean you guys went really really down the rabbit hole there which i love i love when it podcast episodes uh get super nerdy like that um and one of my favorite ones videos that are videos of yours really is a lecture that you made on it's like the 55 minute fizz lecture on calorie quantity and uh versus uh quality which is definitely a topic i want to get into a little bit but before we get there you know maybe you can just give us the rundown on who you are what you do and how long you've been doing it just for those listeners that have never maybe heard of you or any of your work Sure. Well, I'm uh, my day job is I'm a full-time professor and scientist at Cal State Fullerton. So down here in Southern California, I'm uh, I run the Center for Sport Performance. So within that, we've got a handful of research laboratories that uh, study anything that we think could enhance human performance. So this could be biomechanics, or biochemistry, or exercise physiology, or anything or in those areas. Um, so in addition to that, uh, I've been here for about eleven years doing that. Um, so I've got a PhD in human bioenergetics. I've got a master's degree in human sciences um, and then an undergraduate degree in exercise science. Um, 
So in addition to that, I also work with a lot of professional athletes at a very high level. Uh, I, I don't even know how many I've worked with, but Olympic gold medalists, NFL, um, all pros. I've got Hall of Famers, um, MVPs, Cy Young winners, Major League Baseball, the NBA, like you can name an Olympic gold medalist. I've worked with the highest paid player in four of the major American sports is, I guess, a really easy way to summarize it. So lots of world title fights and boxing and the UFC and stuff like that. So I've worked in all of those areas. Um, but to go all the way even back to the beginning for a quicker moment, uh, I also grew up in the country. So it's a little bit weird. I grew up in Southwest Washington, uh, about halfway between uh, Seattle and Portland out there. So I was a country kid from a very small town. I guess maybe some of your listeners aren't like small town is different, but yeah. uh, we only had like 400 kids in my high school. Yeah. So not like super small, small um, not but pretty small relative. Like when I tell people down here, they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, that's like, they think I'm out 75 miles into the Alaskan wilderness. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like you realize, you know, not every town in America has 30,000 people in it. Right. <laughs> uh, like they just don't get that idea. So anywho, um, um, that's, that, that's kind of where I came from. And that's the background a little bit. So I was a small town kid and I didn't know much. And, uh, I was just happening. I just happened to be a, a pretty decent athlete. And so I got to college to do that. Um, and then matriculated my way up into science, learned what science was. I had no idea. Um, I had no idea what a PhD was growing up. I, I could not have told you the difference between a master's degree and a PhD. I didn't even know that in college. I was so woefully unprepared for college. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Like just so academically unprepared because I spent half of my senior year in high school, either on a tractor or um, in the weight room. Wow. Right. Like that was what we did really. Um, so that, that's kind of where I came from a little bit about what I do. So I have this fancy title and these accolades now, but um, I also, uh, you know, came from a similar background as maybe a lot of people listening. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you are really, I mean, when I, hear people talk about you, you're kind of the man when it comes to sports science human performance and whatnot and uh seems like even though you might have not gone into college with you know or gone in there academically unprepared it seems like you did quite well for yourself um yeah yeah i've been very fortunate man it's pro fortunate. probably that athlete mindset huh really pushing you <sighs> um no man like not to do this way off track here i don't think it's the athlete mindset i think it's the i think it's the country mindset I've actually talked about this. I'm not just saying this to pander to your crowd. Yeah. I've talked about this a thousand times on podcasts. Um, it's the culture that I grew up in. It's not, it was my mom and dad. It was my grandparents, but it was every kid I grew up with. It was every teacher in my high school. It was every coach. You know, it was just like losing was totally fine. There's better people than you. But like the idea of just not doing everything you can to prepare was absurd. I mean, every kid I knew was either cleaning stalls or feeding animals or something before school. And you have an extra job on the weekend, like, of, of course, hay in the summer, like all these things. So I just, I just grew up on this culture of people. You just worked like stealing was with the, like the biggest sin ever, right? Because you're just expected to take care of yourself. Right. And you just don't take things from other people because you work so hard for what you get when you have that level of education, typically, and that level of fortune and things. So I, I that to me, like the culture, when I got to college, man, I was just so blown away of how lazy people were just really? like, are you kidding? I was just so stunned with, um, just the, 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 uh, the thought that they deserve the entitlement and just all those things that people have. So it wasn't the athlete side, man. I really credit a lot of it to the countryside. 
Awesome. Yeah. No, that does build character and a lot of grit doing that work out there. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about this calorie quantity versus quality because that's a pretty big debate. So, and you know, a lot of people really rely on calorie counting uh, when they make food decisions every day, right? And the calories are also the unit we use to measure energy intake and expenditure of living things. So I think like they're pretty important to our understanding of life. And they're also an integral part, like something to really consider when you're trying to optimize human performance or uh, your physical activity, perform, you know, performance in, in, in physical activity you, you pursue and whatnot. But that, that debate about calorie quantity and quality is still ongoing. And on the one side, I would say there's really the people, to them, all that matters to achieve a certain weight goal or body composition goal is the calories, right? How many calories are you consuming a day? They don't take the specific f food ingredient or meal into account. That's just not part of the equation for them, right? And then there's those people who they're like, well, it's not all about the calories. Uh, the type of food that you're really eating is what's going to impact your metabolism in certain ways and whatnot. So to them, the, the food providing the calories is super important. In their eyes, like a donut uh, is different from a steak with the same amount of calories, right? And I know you've done a lot of research into this. You've looked at the science. So from what you know about this, um, would you say that calories is all that matter or is there more to the story? Well, as you mentioned at the beginning, I've got a several hour presentation that's freely available right. on YouTube on this topic with graphics and everything like that. So if you want the full story, you can go there. Of course, we're going to do a couple of minute version of that here. Uh, the, the analogy I would say is it's sort of like saying, uh, what's a better animal to hunt? Mule deer animal. It's both. Like it, it, there's no, there is no actual answer there. So do calories matter or is, does quality matter? There's quantity, it's both. They, they, of course, matter. And it's really thought of best as a Venn diagram. So there's some parts over here where just paying attention to caloric intake is more important. And some place over on the other side where quality is all that matters. And then there's a huge part in the middle where it's, it's interchangeable. So these things are not separate concepts. Um, just to riff a few minutes here, a typically higher quality food means lower calories. And so if one is concerned about, say, losing fat, and improving the quality of you know, American citizens' health, then if you just focused on quality of food, you're probably going to reduce calorie intake by quite a bit because higher quality foods tend to come with lower total calories. And so one could say, don't even worry about counting your calories, just eat higher quality food, and the calories are going to take care of themselves. And that is totally true. Right. Having said that, there are a lot of high calorie, high quality foods. <laughs> and so on the other hand, it's like, well, if you also don't pay attention to calories at some point, you're going to be eating a lot of high quality food and you might get fat. Can't be eating hands full of macadamia nuts every day. <laughs> or spoonfuls. Spoonfuls, like, yeah. Your jar is full. Like that's yeah. that's the real problem here, right? Um, now, there's an interesting even further discussion about what is a higher quality food versus a lower quality food. Um, and it's not as relevant as some folks think. But typically, a higher quality food is something that is higher in micronutrient, so vitamins and minerals. And moderate or lower in calories. And so you're getting what we call nutrient-dense foods. These are food items that have a great percentage of nutrients relative to the amount of calories they have. Um, think of something like iceberg lettuce. 
It's not particularly nutrient dense, although it doesn't have hardly any calories in it. It also has very little nutrients in it. So it's not really a higher quality food. It's a low calorie food, but it's not a high quality food. Um, Compare that to like kale or something that has a lot of nutrients and also basically zero calories. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, you have foods, again, like you mentioned, macadamia nut, which are very high quality, but also very high calorie. Mm -hmm. And so all these foods have different combinations of quality and calories or quantity in the way that you stated. All right, great. So the, the conversation also becomes like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about fat loss in general for the American population? Are we talking about feeding a high school football player? Are we talking about six days in the backcountry? Are we talking about like, what are we try, trying to gain muscle? Are we talking about a high performance athlete? Um, the answers, you know, obviously differ. So there's a whole lot of factors to consider when you're going into this. But I think the number one thing to pay attention to right out the gates is it, it is not one or the other. Very clearly, that is not the right case. You want to generally, regardless of your circumstance, eat the highest quality food possible. That's almost always going to be the answer. From there, you can select within the higher quality foods which ones have higher or lower calories. That's like that. That's really all you have to go after. Um, there are certain circumstances when lower calorie foods are okay. For example, you're you're in the backcountry for three or four days you're not going to run into a nutrient deficiency after three days. You know, if you have, you know, quote unquote, some junk food for a couple of days, you're not at risk of having your vitamin D get depleted or vitamin C run out. You're nowhere near those levels. So in that particular case, making sure you can have food items that are light, but higher calories are very, very important, right? You can't be lugging around broccoli. That's a stupid (laughs) choice, right? Like you're not going to get any calories um, relative to what you got to pack around. And so you want to not think of lower quality food as bad. It's just a situational, right? Um, if you're living your entire life eating Cheetos, like this is going to be a problem eventually. Um, if you have a couple of Cheetos today, it's fine. Not a big deal. So that's, I guess, the big picture of how to think about quality versus quantity in terms of calories. Yeah, I like that. And I like that you made a, a point about nutrient density and, and whatnot, Um Cause that's something I, I always care about, you know, especially even if I'm going to the back country, I'm still going to try to keep high quality food as part as the main part of the equation, uh, personally. Cause I, I mean, I put a lot of time into eating clean every day, so I feel great. Why would I change that? You know, when I'm going on a back country hunt and it's super tough out there, it's way harder than my day to day day. Uh, yeah. so that, yeah, but then there's also this whole idea about calorie counting, right? Which is a big mm. part is like people who push for the, all that matters is calorie kind of thing. They, they got to track calories, right? And they got to count calories to really meet their goals. But there is some issues with calorie counting, right? It, it's kind of difficult to get that super accurate. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of things on this. Going all the way back to the beginning, in order to worry about calorie counting for the sake of weight management, that's really what it comes down to. Yep. Right? So I don't want to eat too many calories, gain too much fat, or I don't want to eat too little calories to be underfueled. Right. Okay, great. Well, that's a basic equation, calories in, calories out. So you have to start with the assumptions that go into both sides of that equation. If you start running a little bit of um, diagnostics and troubleshooting on both sides, you start to run into problems very quickly. Right. So... Um, on the calories out part, 
we have to know a couple of factors. Number one, how many calories you're simply burning sitting there being alive. Okay, great. Well, no one knows that. We can test that like quite easily in laboratory, but you don't know how many calories you're burning just staying alive, right? And so there are equations you can use to estimate, but those things are, are good at the, what we call population level. So if I took everyone in Missoula, on average, that number is going to get pretty close. But the individual person, it might be off by 10 or 15 or 40%. Right. So for you, it might not matter at all. But when we apply it across big populations, it gets pretty close. So it's not actually that helpful for the individual person in a lot of spots. So I don't exactly know how many calories you're burning just to stay alive. I then have to be able to measure how many calories you're burning through physical activity whether that's twitching at your desk, whether that's pacing back and forth, whether that's working out, all the physical activity stuff we have to measure. Most people don't do that. Um, now, we're in an age where there's a lot of technology. There are watches and rings and right. stuff, and that can get you close. But a lot of those things are also still really inaccurate. The vast majority are poor, have poor accuracy. So now we've had, you know, we've maybe got 10% off with an estimate. Then we got 10% off with our tech. So you can see how this is just compounding, right. right? And now one, maybe the estimate's too high for you, but the tech is too low. So it actually ends up perfect, but maybe both are high or both. Are low. Now we're off by 10% multiplied on top of an initial 10% error. Like we're starting to get off by a big number. So in addition to that, um, I, I got to understand, okay, how much you're burning in all those, those places, right? There's three categories, but I'm just going to call them, right? Let's call it that way. Like how much you're burning to stay alive and how much you're burning exercising and how much you're burning just kind of like, non-exercise activity is what it's called, basically. You know, twitching and pacing and things like that. All right, so I'm already off by who knows what percentage, high or low or some combination there. Then I have to go to the other side, which is calories in. All right, so now at best, if I had a food scale, I'm taking all the food I have and I'm weighing it and measuring it. And then I'm putting it into some sort of app like MyFitnessPal or Chronometer or something like that. Right. Well, those things are also off by 10 or so percent, maybe more. So the actual food um, labels are off. The food labels can be off by 20%. Wow. Right. Like, so if you're using the food label or you're actually weighing and measuring yourself, that could be off by an additional factor of, you know, 10 or 15%, maybe higher. Um, then we have to pay attention to the quality of the food. So there are some types of calories that are non-digestible. Think of things like fiber. So fiber is a carbohydrate. It counts towards your carbohydrate count on your package, counts towards that number, but you don't digest it and use it. So therefore you don't actually, you know, quote unquote, absorb. You absorb it, but you get the point here, right? So if you had 10 grams of carbohydrate in your snack, but five of them were fiber, well, you're not actually going to absorb the calories that are packed into those five grams of fiber. And so you thought you brought in, in this case, four calories per gram. If you had 10 grams, that's 10 times four, that's 40 calories. But since half of them were fiber, you actually absorbed 20. So you exactly. thought you were bringing in 40 calories, but in effect, you only brought in 20. So you're actually lower on calories, which again, may be a good thing or maybe a bad thing. Depending on the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the goal here. Right. So we have fact problems over on this side of the equation. We have problems on this side of the equation. Um, how accurately you actually measure, you know, like, oh yeah, it has a scoop of peanut butter. Like, are you sure that was a tablespoon or a teaspoon? Or like, was that a hefty one? That's an extra hundred. So you can just see how this equation, when the numbers are supposed to be something like 2000, well, we're 10% off here, 5% off here, 5% off there. Well, instead of being at 2000, which is say the most, you know, the magical accurate number for you, 
you might be at 2,800 or you might be at 1,300. You could be completely off. And that's such a big number that, you know, after three days, that's a pound. Like it's gone. And so that's when people are like, man, calorie counting is a myth. It doesn't work. It totally works. It's just extremely hard to get an accurate number. Yeah. And so what you have to do is have some concept of calories, get close. This is also why I said higher quality foods tend to give you lower calories because they have things like fiber in them. Um, You tend to consume higher quality foods less so. Right. And so you're probably not going to just keep snacking on kale. Yeah. Kale doesn't. But you're for sure going to take a couple extra bites of Cheetos. Yeah. Totally. Right. Like there's just no chance you're going to stop at three. There's no bliss point that's part of the the kales, meaning that the perfect combo of fat, carbs, and sugar that wants you to keep or that makes you want more of it and all that. It's just never going to happen. Right. Yeah. And you're also talking about space. Right. So um, if you t- if you eat an entire head of broccoli, right, that's that's kind of like the equivalent of a scoop of peanut butter in terms of calories, probably a lot less, actually. Well, it's certainly a lot less. So you'd have to eat like two entire scoops, if you will. Um, you're just not going to do that. And so it, you're, you're almost surely going to just inherently eat a lower calorie diet by eating higher quality foods. Uh, not that peanut butter is a low quality food, but you get the point here, right? Right. Um, you exchange this for mac and cheese, ice cream, like all, all those other food items uh, are the problem. So um, you need to pay attention to calories, I guess, is to summarize this, um, but don't get overly concerned with what something on the internet told you to eat in terms of calories. You have to pay attention to calories, but then you need to adjust. Uh, And you need to factor a couple of things in. Number one, what's your body weight doing? Is it going the direction you want, either down or up or staying? Number two, how how are you feeling energy-wise throughout your day or activity? And then number three, what's your recovery look like? And if one of those three categories is off, you probably got to tweak calories a little bit. Right Now, from there, we can start further dividing into macronutrient types and things like that. But um, if you're like, hey, my weight's great. I'm losing a pound a week and I don't feel like I'm starving all the time. Um, I feel good for my day. I have energy. I can, you know, I'm working out three days a week or I'm just working hard you know, in my day job or whatever because it's a physical day job and I feel like I'm recovering. Well, then your, your calories are probably great. If you're right. losing five pounds a week, like that, that's probably way, way, way too much. You're going to bonk most likely, right? Um, if you're not losing, you know, if you're losing one pound a month, especially if you're bigger, if you're like very, very lean, that may be not, but then maybe like, all right, we got to bring calories down somehow. And the trick is bring calories down without bringing food volume down. That, that helps people a lot, right? So it's not just like you're eating these like tiny portions of chicken breast and broccoli. Right. Um, find the lower calorie, higher quantity foods. So you're eating big plates of food and you're eating massive lunch and just the weight's falling off. Right. And That's that, the ideal situation. That way you're also not, yeah, there's a psychological thing probably where you're not, you don't feel like you're eating not enough, you know? Yeah. It's called the abund- abundance versus scarcity. Okay. So you don't want to be in a diet situation that really makes you feel scarce. Like all you're doing is looking at and thinking about the food you're not eating. What you want to be able to do is put in a situation where you're abundant and you're like, man, I can't believe all this food I get to eat. And it's really, per- it's like pretty good. Like, yeah, you're not eating big platefuls of spaghetti every day but you could have spaghetti you, you could have whatever it's just like man i have a little bit of spaghetti over here and i have this and this is i'm eating a ton of food and that's waste is falling off. right cool all right and then the one more thing on the calorie 
counting that I wanted to ask you was uh, the thermal effect of food because I did not know about that before um, watching your your video on it. So different foods will use up calories to burn the uh, to burn the food, right? Can you kind of go into that a bit? Just elaborate yeah. on it a little bit. So let's say you ate 100 calories of, I think, what do you use at the beginning of the podcast? Uh, the two examples. Macadamias. Uh, yeah. Oh, steak food. and donuts. Steak and donuts. Steak and donuts. Great. We use steak and donuts. Okay. So let's assume it was not a ribeye. It was maybe like a really lean cut. So let's just say all the, the only thing in that steak was protein. There was no fat in there. And let's just say, even though donuts are made of a lot of fat and a lot of sugar, let's just say it was uh, sugar. It doesn't yeah. matter. I can do the same thing for fat, by the way. It's not magically different. Okay. Well, um, when you ingest those two food items, uh, it takes more energy for your body to actually break down protein than it does carbohydrates, a lot more. And so this is called the thermal effect of food. So you can think of this uh, thermal as in heat, because when you um, burn calories, it gives off heat. That's why we call it burn, actually. That's that's the reason why, because we get this mental image of heat. Hmm, I didn't know that. And so if you consume 100 calories of protein, and again, it, by the way, it doesn't matter that it's steak. It's nothing magical about steak. It's just it's protein that matters, right? Um, and you bring in 100 of them. Well, it might take you an additional 20 calories of work to actually break down that steak. And so you actually ingested 100, but you burned 20 to get those 100. So your net is only 80. Um, this is the equivalent of, you know, if you found uh, a diamond in the field but it was all rough cut and everything. Yeah, it's worth a hundred grand, but then it's going to take you 25 grand uh, to of work to polish it and cut it and trim it and all that stuff. So you can then only sell it for profit of 75,000. Like whatever, right? They just, it takes some work to go into the system to actually get anything out of the system. It's just, it's an investment, right? Well, carbohydrates, instead of that number being 20 or 25, it's more like five, maybe 10. And so that hundred calories of carbohydrate is going to give you a net of like 90. Fat is like more like two or three. And so you're going to get like 98% uh, or something like that out of fat. So this is why eating a higher protein diet is actually more advantageous for people that are trying to lose weight because you're still eating the same amount of calories, right? Your calorie total intake for the day is 2000 calories or whatever it is. And you're eating lots of protein. You're feeling very full and satiated and it's helping with recovery. But it's taking your body so much energy to break that stuff down that you're actually burning calories just digesting it, basically. So your total caloric state is actually lower. Um, you're going to lose weight that way. So it can also work in the reverse. This is also why you don't need to go out of your way to ingest a ton of protein during something like a backcountry. You don't necessarily need it, and you're not going to get as many calories out of it as you think. So in that particular case, you need to hedge way more towards carbohydrate and fat. Because you want tons of efficiency there, you don't. You want to be getting every calorie out of the amount of food you brought with you, and not just wasting it. Right, burning more calories just through digestion. Right, yeah. Because I usually eat really high protein, uh, you know, like mostly meat and whatnot. But now, as for the backcountry and whatnot, I've really been thinking about, you know, do I really want to be super satiated out there? Uh, probably not. Like, do I want that thermal effect of, of food or that high cost of? burning proteins and losing calories along the way probably not so i've kind of moved from you know taking super high protein foods into the backcountry to more carbs and fats uh, because of that too and 
you know, I live, I mentioned to you earlier, I live in Montana. I'm regularly going to the mountains to hunt fish and forage in the hopes of finding and bringing home some high quality protein, fats, and carbohydrates, all that good, delicious wild food. And yeah, a lot of listeners do the same, especially in like, you know, high altitude, low oxygen kind of environments. Um, so I'd love to, to hear a little bit about your thoughts on what macronutrient to focus on carbs or fats for f energy specifically in those kind of situations. So I'm talking like, you know, um, long hikes, moderate to rough terrain, decent elevation changes, heavy pack. Um, if we're hunting, we're also maybe sitting down one to three hours to glass on a ridge or whatnot. What would you fuel yourself with predominantly? It's a little bit tricky because you've got a couple of factors. Um, the, the answer would actually be a little bit independent. So are you a very lean person? Mm -hmm. Are you like, I, I got a little pounds to shed here. Well, if you have some pounds to shed, you actually have a lot of energy to store it up in yourself. Um, you also want to be able to disassociate hunger pangs from actual fuel need. That, that's not the same thing, right? So you might get really, really hungry just because you're used to eating at 10 o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden 10 o'clock hits and you're just like growling. You're, you're not like an actual like calorie problem here. You don't have low energy. You're just, your stomach is saying, Hey, we typically eat food right now. What's going on? Um, that, that's not something you need to worry about. If it is truly low energy, is, is it really, really, really cold? Well, now you have a lot uh, bigger need for actual fuel. Same thing if it's very hot. Is it just kind of more moderate? Um, those things are when physiologically you need to pay attention to it. I guess the way to think about this is a handful of ways. Um, physiological consequences come in a couple of areas and they come in sequence. So sequence number one is air, right? You're going to last seconds to minutes without air. Um, blood could actually be thrown in the same thing. So like depending on how quick the blood flow is, is pouring out of you. If you get cut or something, you might have seconds to minutes yeah. to stop that, right? So like those kind of things run a long way. Um, after that, you've got thermal. So getting extremely cold can kill you pretty quickly, but you probably have hours. Same thing, getting extremely hot, right? You can heat stroke, but you've got hours to deal with that, maybe even more like half a day, you know, depending. Sometimes it happens very fast, but you get the idea. Um, the next biggest one is sleep. Surprising enough, right? <laughs> uh, most people you're going to get have, have tremendous problems with past 24 hours without some sort of sleep. And once you get certainly into like day and a half, two days, hallucinations step in. And that's a very big problem in the wilderness. Yeah. Right? You're going to make sleep big deprivation. Mistakes. Yeah. Totally. The next one past that is water. All right. You can go multiple days without water, but not much more than that. Right. You're going to struggle after that. Food is the last one. Right. Food is you have most probably anyone listening to this could theoretically survive a week or more probably much more in the wilderness with no food whatsoever. So it is in terms of safety, it is the least important thing to worry about in all this stuff. And anyone who's been in the wilderness is like shelter first, right? Like most people are like, get food, find food, food. You're like, no, no, like, because that first one that's going to kill you past, you know, oxygen and, and bleeding, it is the thermal stress, thermal, right? Yeah. No question. Water next, we'll figure out food later. In two, three days, you'd be just fine. All right. That being said, then, um, the amount of fat you have or not, matters to this equation um, how hot it is or not matters to this equation how long are we talking are we talking like a day day and a half kind of thing are we talking seven day plus that actually can change the situation 
And the reason I say that is because you have to factor in pack weight, right? Exactly. So you're going to get a lot more calories per physical weight in fat, a lot more. Um, so if you're like, hey, I got to pack this for seven days, you're going to actually get over like two and a half times the amount of energy per pound of food out of fat. That, that's, that starts to factor a lot in the equation. If it's a single day or two days or something, like it, it's not really that big of a deal to have an extra three pounds right? Like on your body or something. Like you got a 70-pound pack and 72 or 70, like you, you wouldn't even notice the difference, right? Um, when it comes to the, the other situation where it's like, hey, we may run out of food and I may be two days or three days into the woods, um, you, running out of food is going to be not good. And so you may hedge your bets higher towards fat in that particular case for simple safety reasons. Um, again, if it is like a, most people do, probably closer to the two to three day range before they're going to get, you know, start getting closer back to civilization. Uh, except for some of you nuts who, you know, are going to go eight days just way out there. Um, but those folks, um, are, you're probably going to lean higher towards carbohydrates in those particular cases. Um, carbohydrates are going to feel a lot faster. So you're going to adjust the carbohydrates and very quickly, you're going to start feeling better. Right. Energy will pick up. Fat is going to be much slower. Um, I, ideally, you have some sort of combination. So you get a little bit of both. That's what I try ones. to but, do now. Yeah, that, that's your target. You still want some protein, by the way. You don't want to be totally protein-free because it will help with safety. It'll uh, help control the blood sugar release. So you don't want these huge spikes of carbohydrate up and then back down. And the protein ingestion with that will make the, sure that that blood sugar rise is kind of smooth and even because you need 14 hours plus of energy, right? Because you're going to be getting up a couple of hours before sunrise. You're going to be probably getting back to camp like after dark or, or you know, very, very close. And um, you're going to be cold probably the whole time, including at night. Right. So you, you need to be able to, to maintain consistent output. And then maybe there's a little nap in the middle of the day, maybe not. Um, but that's, you want to pay attention to that too. So you don't want to go totally just peanut butter and cupcakes. Yeah. That's not a good idea either. And I think like if you look it up, a lot, most people will push for the carbohydrates, you know, just because they are a quicker fuel, especially from what I was learning, I guess, in like low oxygen environments, the carbs totally take as much oxygen to burn as the fats. And yeah. Well, carbohydrate is a lower fuel source, but it's more metabolically efficient per molecule of oxygen. Um, when you go up to altitude as well, you start biasing towards carbohydrate metabolism and away from fat, uh, which is good and bad. Um, it, it is the more, it is if you have 30 to 60 days or something um, of fuel on your body in fat, theoretically, you have an orders of magnitude, probably three orders of magnitude less carbohydrate. So if you're talking about which one you have to replace physiologically, it's carbohydrate. That's no a good point. question about it. You do not need to replace the fat you burn. It's fine. Yeah. Unless you're really, really lean. You have got to replace the muscle glycogen. That's the, the type of carbohydrate in your muscle that you burn with exercise and movement. You have to replace blood sugar. It's the same thing. It's just when it's in sugar. You have to replace the liver. So those are the three primary places you're going to store carbohydrates is in your blood is sugar and your muscles glycogen and your liver is glycogen. Uh, glycogen is just glucose blood sugar that's just packed together um, the equivalent in the food realm is starch right so like a potato is starch uh, that's just glucose that's been stored and packed together and in a potato we call it starch and in your muscle or in your liver we call it glycogen it's the same damn thing right um, it's it's glucose when it's in the, ban the banana 
And then it comes down the root and it gets stored in the root. So typically that's why like root vegetables uh, tend, they're stored forms of sugar. They tend to be starchy. They tend to be glycogen, but fruit doesn't last very long. Goes, you know, uh, rots pretty quickly because it's more simple sugar. It's, it's blood, it's the blood glucose, right? So like in a case of a, of a fruiting tree, it's going to take in a lot of its starch stored in its roots. That's why we have root vegetables. It's going to put it up the tree in the form of uh, like a, a, a different kind of sugar that's like two-part. So instead of doing this big storage thing, it's kind of like a halfway storage, halfway usable one. And that's like maple syrup. Right. right? That's, that's why it's, there's like sugar in the bark. And then it goes all the way up to the top and goes up to the branches and goes into the fruit and becomes its fastest form of sugar. Uh, fructose and glucose in this particular case. So they're called monosaccharides, uh, polysaccharides, and disaccharides. That's why you can get carbohydrates from every sort of part of the plant, the root, the bark, or the actual fruit. Same difference. Um, your body has the same mechanisms. It's just in the muscle, in the liver, and the blood. So you, you have a very limited supply of that because your liver is only so big. Um, yeah, you know, Anyone who's ever butchered an animal knows like, oh, elk's got this giant liver. But then you're like, damn, antelope has this little... So, so all the amount of glycogen they can store in their entire body is like subject to that tiny little liver yeah, and the tiny little amount of muscle. And there's only about a tablespoon of sugar in your blood total. Total. So you burn that pretty quickly. You, you have to replace that. The fat is everywhere. You can continue to pull that for fuel for days and days and days on end. So um, once your, your liver runs out, by the way, that's when you hit the bunk because you continue to use glucose by moving. So you're burning it in muscle. Muscle is going to try and take it from blood, which is fine because then blood takes it from liver. Mm. So the liver is like your backup generator, if yeah. you know, backup can. That's fine. But when all of a sudden your liver runs out, but you keep moving, then all of a sudden blood sugar dips very low and you're out of it in muscle. You're out, your backup supply is out and you just continue to drain it from your blood sugar. And the blood sugar is what's keeping your brain provided with glucose. That's how your brain feels. And so your brain's like, stop. All of a sudden goes, don't, we're done here. And it doesn't matter how much fortitude you have. It just shuts you down. And you get a blood glucose drop and you drop. And you definitely don't want that. So that's why even at altitude, when you're biased more towards carbohydrate, they're saying it's more important in this particular case to get carbohydrate in because we're using a higher percentage of carbohydrate relative to fat that we would use at normal altitude. So high country desert stuff it's going to push you more towards carbohydrate for sure. Right. And you definitely don't want that bonk when you have to pack out an animal or whatnot. And I've been eating low carb for like nine years and tried it in the back country, but lately just with doing more research and all this, I've been incorporating a lot more carbs and it's interesting. Feel better. Yeah. I feel, feel better. better. And I never get like, you know, in my day-to-day life when I eat a bunch of carbs, so I get the energy dips that I don't want. Yeah. Um, I don't get that out there. It's just cause probably you're, you're moving, you're burning it right away. It's, yeah. Your blood sugar is going to be stabilized from the exercise, so, probably too, and whatnot. So, uh, real quickly, uh, what about? Do you think people should try to do like some try to get fat adapted? You know, uh, that's a bit pretty big thing I know now. Uh, with like, high, uh, no, no, not per se. Um, fat adapted is a maligned term. People are misusing that. Okay. And they're they're using that as in try to try to argue with you into not eating carbohydrates, <laughs> and that's not what fat adapted means. Um, the, the fact of the matter is a couple of things. If number one, you are not fat adapted, but you put yourself in a situation like you're describing, whether you're up in the timber or wherever you're at, and you're but you're moving a lot, and, and most likely it's cold, uh, you're going to get fat adapted very quickly. 
like your, your body will change very fast by itself. You don't need to no do question. much. Yeah. If you're really metabolically trashed, then yeah, a little bit of work ahead of time will help. Or if you're like a high performance hunter and you're really getting up, you, okay, like fine. But if you're like that, you're probably pretty metabolically flexible anyways. So um, simply by being lean and physically active and having a higher quality diet, you're, you're probably just fine metabolically. Um, I don't see people who are 15% body fat and eat high quality diets and move a lot who can't burn fat. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I'm not, I don't see that. What happens is you get people who are very obese, don't move. They eat pancakes for breakfast with syrup. And then they have pizza at lunch. And then they have chicken fingers. Like those people do become metabolically problematic, but those people aren't going to the back country for seven days anyways. Very true. So like, it, it's not really that big a deal. All right. Good point. Awesome. So let's say we have a guy training for like a Montana elk hunt, right? And he only has an hour a day uh, to work out, maybe two hours on weekend days, but he wants to just like be as efficient as possible, maximize his time because he can't go rocking for four to eight hours every day and simulate a, sure. simulate a hunt, right? Uh, what kind of like, what do you think he should focus on? Should it only be cardio or a mixture of cardio and strength training? What are some, some things that you could recommend? Well, you're absolutely going to want to do all of the above. There, there's no question. Um, you want to hit a handful of notes here. So number one, you have to have steady state conditioning. So this is the ability to breathe through your nose only, ideally, mm. and to be able to go consecutively at some sort of resistance, ideally, you know, in your guys, I typically say like 30 to 45 minutes, but in your case, probably more like 90 minutes, like is ideal, right? So this could be on a bike, could be on a rower, could be a stair, kind of stair, stair climber. Yeah. I love sure. that thing. <laughs> All that stuff is fantastic for it. Um, that, that's a really good way to go about it. So maybe that's the weekend. It could be a run. That's fine too. Higher pace run. It could run the mountains could run the trails. That's what my brother does every weekend. He runs trails. That's what he's out there. Um, so you want to do that, uh, at least a couple of times a week. It's probably ideal. Um, then you're going to want to do something that is more inclined towards pure strength training. So this is having physical strength and being very, very strong. Uh, I would probably recommend at least one day a week of that. Uh, and that should be done in a whole body fashion. So you want to do big movements, um, trap bar deadlift, if you're not really familiar with deadlifting, uh, overhead press, pull-ups, um, split squats, things like that, right? Big muscles, big ranges of motion. You don't have to do a ton of repetitions, but you want a big load on there. Um, and obviously you don't want to get hurt, but you want, you want to go after big movements, right? Like you don't need to go out of your way to do a bunch of bicep curls. Okay. If you can fit it in fine, like that's not going to... Yeah. Rarely in the country, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to pull myself off this leg. Like, that's just not. Yeah, I get a curl. Like, you need to be able to crawl your ass, basically, and to step up 45 degree planes for six hours. Basically, like, that's, yeah. that's really what you're after, right? Um, so, probably at least that one day a week. Then you probably want to do something that is way higher intensity interval based. So, this is something that brings your heart rate up extremely high. And then you have a very short duration to bring that down. And I don't really even need to explain to you why a hunter needs that. But in case somebody's half asleep right now, um, I, I, I don't know about you, but this has happened to me many, many times hunting 
where you climb something really, really hard and you're, you're about ready to throw up and your heart is exploding. And all of a sudden, boom, that thing you're after is right in front of your face. Yep. And you may have a decently long shot. You know, like it's not just like a, there's situations right there and you pull and shoot, right? But it's like, oh shit, it's right there. It's on the move. Pull, calm down, get it in. Where's it at? Laser it, turn, like dial, click, I'm in. Shh, try not to bang the. Okay, great. And then like, okay, that's right on my end. Where's it? Like all this stuff has to happen. And all the way, the whole time you're out of breath. Right. You can't breathe. You're dying. Yeah. <laughs> you're dying. You're trying not to go. <laughs> Right. This thing thinks you're a bull moose in heat, right? It's yeah. just like, so you have to be able to take yourself to a very high heart rate and bring it down and have total breath control. Um, so I would, that is a very practicable skill, by the way. Um, so you can use sprinting to do that, right? So run wind sprints. Um, you can use like a circuit in the gym, or you can use kettlebells or dumbbells. You could use a, uh, sled pushes, or you can use an aerodyne or aerosol bike is my favorite aerosol bikes or, and or the care, do something that takes your heart rate up just like where you can't, like you can't think. And then you have to practice getting it down again and then doing it again and, and do that. And I would do that at least once per week. So if you did that, those are four workouts. You'd be in a really, really good spot. You'd be able to continually walk up that 800 yard thousand foot elevation change, right? It's like, it's going to take us two hours. Okay. It's like, go, go, go. You have the ability to climb up something, scramble, get work really, really hard, then bring yourself back down, focus, and, and execute. Whether it's the animal or it's just like staying safe, right? You're in a tricky situation. You've got to be able to maintain focus while your heart rate's really up there. And you'll also have the physical strength to do that and recover from it so that you don't wake up the next morning just being like, oh, yeah, oh, Like me right move. now. <laughs> I just came back from a three-day bear hunt. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'm feeling dead. Yeah. 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 So that, that's the general stuff. Um, and then of course you can add on any extra stuff you'd like to that, but that would be a four day training program a week. I think you'd be in a breathing spot. Cool. Yeah. I love that. And when you're doing like the, the X, let's say the strength training part, you know, more resistance type training, uh, is there, do you care about form or tempo at all? Or I know you said just lower rep, I'm assuming making sure the form is, is right, but should I maybe be doing it super slow you know is there anything yeah. well technique always especially for this population technique is most important do not get yourself do not ruin your hunting trip because you're deadlift big time yeah like you're, you're going to kill yourself right and your wife's going to kill you and your hunting buddy's going to kill you and like and you put in your nine preference points and now you don't get to go because you tweaked your back like can you right. imagine oh no <laughs> be horrible <laughs> that's that's happened to people in hunting camp right they show up and get up there on the first day and they roll an ankle or whatever anyway um so yes technique is most important with all of these things you're using this stuff to aid your hunt uh, don't let it ruin your hunt hunting is still most important uh, or your hike or your trip or wherever you're going even if you're not hunting just out for an adventure okay fine number that um in terms of the tempo you don't need to go particularly slow but go don't go any faster than you can execute perfect technique so typically under control, it's just a good tempo, right? You want to try to execute the movements forcefully, but you don't need to be going out of your way to go extremely slow. Cool. Got it. And then for stretching, I, I'd assume you maybe have some ideas for, you know, maybe there's some stretches you could do in the morning at camp before the hunt or at the end of the day. 
uh, just some larger, some, some ones that maybe target uh, more muscle groups and whatnot. Is there anything you can yeah. speak on in that regard? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things you want to pay attention to. Number one is probably your hips, right? Um, most people are going to get tight backs. Yeah. Either because of the, you're going to be sitting on a rock for two and a half hours straight and then you're never going to be in a comfortable position or something, or just because of the, the movements. And you're doing it in these big old thick heeled boots and you're at a position that you don't probably spend a lot of time in. Um, so back is number one. And people think they stretch their back, which is not the worst thing, but the biggest thing behind your back is probably your hips. So get your hips uh, opened up in a lot of ways. Um, I will, honestly, like as lame as this is, most, most mornings, no matter what time I wake up, like I'm going to do at least like two or three minutes of my hips before yeah. I go out. It's just, it just stops problems before they happen, right? Um, the same thing with the quads. So stretch your quads as part of your hip flexors anyways, but stretch your quads, stretch your hips. Um, even at literally a couple of minutes um, is going to be really good. On, on top of that, if you do a little bit of glute uh, activation stuff, just some glute bridges or something, um, some hinges, some one-legged RDLs, you can look at, up what those are. Um, you can look up something called kin stretch, K-I-N stretch. Uh, they have tons of little things you can do that are just very easy to open up your hips um, as a way to go. So you could also get your ankles if you have time. Um, even just grabbing your toes and kind of pulling your ankles while you lay there in your sleeping bag before you put your boots on is a nice way to, to get started. But those are the, the big ones um, to go after. The last one would be hamstrings. So this is like a downward dog basically thing you can do. Uh, an active one where you kind of like uh, put your knees to the ground and push back up and then put your knees to the ground and this is an active one. That's a really good way to get your hamstrings. So if you can get your hamstrings, quads, and hip flexors, again, the whole thing can be four minutes. It'll really pay dividends. Um, I will typically do that in the morning and at night when you get back to camp. Just move while you're waiting for dinner to heat up or whatever you're doing. Um, you, you know, even if it's in all your gear. But try to do those things um, and stop the problems from happening. Right. I mean, you're still going to get sore. It's just, I mean, it is what it is. But you just want to make it so it's not, like, unbearable the next day. Right. And it helps you prevent certain things just by taking that into account. Awesome. So I have two quick listener questions, and then I'll let you go. Respect your time. Uh, one one of my listeners was asking, you know, a lot of bow hunters that go super hard uh, with practicing and whatnot, they'll sometimes shoot like 30 to 100 arrows a day. But what can happen or what's happened to people is that, you know, doing that motion, it's very one-sided, right? Because most people only shoot either lefty or righty. Um, the shoulder muscles might get uneven and whatnot. Do you have any recommendations in terms of maybe an exercise or whatnot uh, to offset that again or to, you know, to, to make it more even again so that they don't get issues down the road? Yeah. So we deal with the same thing with major league baseball players, right? They're throwing the same, they're throwing tons and tons of pitches. Um, number one, one thing we've learned over the years is just probably don't throw as much. Which is it's hard. not worth in, in the end, actually by the end of the year, and we've calculated this, you will actually get more pitches thrown. Really? Because you're not gonna have to miss so much time hurt. That makes sense, yeah. So like the aggregate is actually higher. Um, so that that's number one. Um, you will kill yourself in volume. It's the same thing with runners, right? You just can't stop running, but then can't stop getting hurt. Like, well, maybe if you run less, you get hurt less there. Um, the second thing is. Um, I mean, you could try some 
some global physical therapy uh, from an actual someone that really knows what they're doing, and that will probably help as well. Um, in terms of like a specific exercise, I'm the wrong guy to ask on that one. You would want to get uh, a physical therapist. You could look at Kinstretch again. Kinstretch has a lot of cool stuff there. Um, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to do something strength training wise to correct. You don't want to correct the, the the imbalance all the way. But if it's getting to the point where you're you're having uh, overuse in one area like that, the only, the first solution is stop using it as much. If you're like, ah, not an option. Okay, great. Well, then you have to figure out what exactly is um, causing the problem on the other side, and then you have to strengthen it. So you you need a high qualified PT person to to dive into that. And there's probably tons. Yeah, but I just I don't have a good answer for that. That's all right. Cool. Uh, the other one was you know. There are some uh, big-time backcountry hunters, TV hunters and whatnot that have talked about this, this strategy of underpacking food uh, purposely um, so that they uh, either get into maybe a fasted state or a calorie deficit. Uh, and supposedly doing that gets them into like this hunting high stage state of being where, you know, um, their motivation is greater, their keenness is better, maybe their awareness and senses are heightened and all that. I'm curious what your thoughts are on all of that. Do you think that's a that's a real thing? Um, and do you think it's safe and reasonable to, to underpack uh, and pushing your physiology like that to improve like a hunting session or whatnot? Yeah, uh, so a handful of thoughts on that. Number one is safe and reasonable. For those level of folks, you're, you're talking about a pretty high level experience. Yeah, it's not the craziest. Like I said, you can go a long time without food. Yeah. A long, long, long time. And if they have some level of grit and fortitude, it's just hunger. You're going to be fine there, right? They'll be able to get out. So I wouldn't call this like extremely dangerous, although they are probably people who are going in dangerous spots. And so it kind of is. Um, but I, again, like probably not super dangerous. Um, fasting does tend to lead to clarity. Um, now that also like implicit in that is it also comes from folks who eat the wrong foods in the beginning. And so it's like, you're not actually having a lot of clarity. You're just having more clarity relative to a, being unclear because of the poor foods you're eating. Right. So can you balance this with actually a proper food intake and do you feel the same? you probably feel about the same. Um, do I think it enhances your sense of smell and things like that? No, no. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Um, do I think cool it's fun? It yeah. True. Like to, to be totally honest, I've done it. <laughs> like it was really fun. Uh, it's just cause it's, it's like a different wild like experience, but, right. um, I, it's not going to make you better. Um, getting into flow is possible. Yeah. Um, like we know what getting into what we call flow or getting in the zone is a real thing. And there's a lot of things that can induce that and being, um, in a calorie deficit uh, or, or, or totally out of calories can actually do that in some sort of sense. So that's, so that's, that's a real thing. They could be like, Hey, I um, do I think it's necessary? No, like I said, I tried it. Um, and I don't know, like, it's just like hunting, feeling better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more, this is more fun. Like you just, you, you end up getting so distracted for so much, so much, so much of it. Um, even though like it was fine. Right. Uh, I've done plenty of fasting before, but it's just like, man, I don't know. This wasn't that cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, Great person. But hey, you know what? Like, I'm all for it. Have fun. Yeah. Try Do cool it. stuff with your physiology. Do cool stuff with your nutrition. I'm in for it. I love it. 
Love it too. Yeah. No, it's just something that's always uh, interested me. And when, when the person asks, I'm like, all right, that's definitely a good one to ask Andy. It's probably more myth and lore than just about anything else. Yeah. It's not totally fake, but. Yeah. And it's like, that's also one of those th things that like might be really difficult to study in a scientific setting. Right. Um, well, that particular thing. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> there's no one funding that study. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> cool. Man, well, we talked about a lot. I'm sure we could keep chatting for hours, but you know, I want to respect your time. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, this is some great stuff. Um, you know, I think it's really going to be something that interests a lot of listeners. Uh, before I let you go, do you just want to plug all your stuff where people can find you in social media, um, your awesome YouTube videos and whatnot? Yeah, sure. Just Andy Galpin on Twitter and Instagram are the best places um, uh, for sure. And if, if you want like that educational stuff, some of the nutrition and strength training things, those are all up on YouTube. Um, so those are the, the easiest places. And you also and then, use uh, course, right? Do you have? I don't no? have anything to sell. Okay. Well, Everything is I, free. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I, I know you haven't, like a lot of it is on your website and then also on YouTube, right? Yeah, everything on my website is the same stuff on YouTube. Yeah. I just put in both places case cool. to make it easier for people. But so it's all free, all open access for now. Um, and those videos that are up there will always be free. So Love it. Awesome. And I'll put links to all that in the podcast episode descriptions for everyone to check out. So definitely give Dr. Andy Galpin here a follow. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to keep following you along your journey, your content. I've learned a lot from you and I really appreciate uh, you being out there, you know, uh, making it easy for everyone to understand and whatnot, all the science and sports nutrition and sports performance because it's fun stuff. My pleasure, man. Well, maybe we'll um, bump into each other this fall. I'll be up in uh, on Mule Deer in the broadest area well, this year. Well, man, if and, you're uh, coming through Bozeman want to – you know, make a meal or something sometime, uh, let me know. I'm here. Sounds good, man. Cool. Awesome. Okay, everybody. That's all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys learned as much from Dr. Andy Galpin as I did. I, you know, surely am a big fanboy of his. And like I said at the beginning, he's just got a ton of great content out there. If you're interested in diving into more of his content and learning about human performance education, definitely do that. You're only going to benefit from it. Again, if you like the podcast, absolutely hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star written review, share it with a friend. And if you're a big fan, you want to see the show grow, want to see me pump out more episodes and keep the lights on, consider doing either that monthly donation on Patreon or just doing a one-time donation on my Buy Me A Coffee account. Links to all this will be in the podcast episode description. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate all of you. You know, you guys are why I create this content. It's a ton of fun for me, especially if I get feedback from you guys and I hear that you guys are learning from it. So I'll keep it up. Let's keep exploring real food together.